All right, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Oh, that, that was sad. Are you already thinking about what's going to happen at like 3 o'clock? When... I'm just kidding, just kidding, kind of. I'm glad to be here with you guys today. If you have your Bibles, turn them to 1 Peter 1.8. That's where we're going to go. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 8 today. But um, just know that today, um, if, if you have your, your Bibles ready, we're going to be flying through a lot of Scripture today, and I'm not going to... I probably won't pause every time I say a passage for you to turn there, so just know that everything will be on the screens, but there's, there's a lot going on today because what we're going to talk about is mentioned quite a bit in Scripture. And uh, this morning, it's funny, I, I woke up and, and I'm getting ready and I just had this thought and it's like, can, can, you guys, can you guys feel like Christmas in the air? I, I know I can. I, I, I love the season and I, I love the, the lights and everything coming down. And I also know that um, at home we have this little calendar um, my, my daughter has a bluey advent calendar, and she gets a new little toy, but she wakes up, and when I see that calendar, I, I love seeing her joy with every time she opens it, and she gets her new little bluey toy, and then I also feel a sense of panic of I have so much to do in the next couple weeks <laughs> to, get, to get ready for Christmas. But, but we're, we're getting so close to Christmas Day and the, the day that we have that celebration of the birth of Jesus. And, and we're in the middle of this series where we've been discovering what we call the heart of Christmas and what, what it all boils down to and comes to. And I love that we get to continue talking about this together. So let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Let's welcome Jesus in. Thank you for joining us. If you're online today, glad to have you. And let's just welcome God into this place. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the joy that you bring in the season. I, I thank you that we get to come and celebrate you. I pray that as we dive into your word today, God, we get filled with that. We get filled with the joy that you bring, and we're able to, to look past the busyness, look past some of the, the Christmas chaos that we can fall into, God, and, and really dive into the purpose of the season, and that's that you brought joy to the world. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, so, so we've, we've talked about this you know, a number of times each week in Christmas, getting lost in the busyness, lost in all this stuff. And I've asked this before, but has anybody done Christmas shopping? Like you've got, you, Christmas is just, bring on the day, you're done. How many people are not done? Most of us. All right, there we are. <clears throat> right? There's, there's a lot that leads up to, to that, that day for all the different things. And it's not all bad, right? I mean, we, I love the presents and I love the, the looks on, on my kid's face and my wife's face when they open presents. And it's, it's fun. It's a very special morning and we all have, we're all full of traditions. But we know that it's bigger than that. We know that the Christmas season is so much bigger than the, the decorations and, and the presents. You know, we, Jesus was born to bring us better gifts, the gifts of hope peace, joy, and love. And that's what we really get to celebrate in the Christmas season. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about hope in the middle of our circumstances because of God's faithfulness. And, and last week, we looked at this wonderful peace that he brings, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And today, we're going to look at the, the third gift of Christmas, the gift of joy. And this, this I think, is, is a, a very, very important piece. Christmas joy isn't just talked about in the beginning of the Gospels at the birth of Jesus. Joy is something that is brought all throughout Scripture, Something we see in the Old Testament, something that Paul heavily emphasizes post-Jesus in the New Testament. And often it's talked about in the joy of circumstances, uh, the joy of finding joy in all circumstances, no matter what we go through. And I wanted to share a few scenarios with you today. And so if this is you, you can raise your hand, no judging, but I want to know which of these brings you joy. So, so the first one. You go through the drive through your favorite coffee shop, and you order your drink, and you discover the car in front of you paid for it. How many of you guys, that brings you joy? 
so many people with no hands up. Wow, I'll pay for my own coffee. All right, so some people, that brings us joy. All right, next one. You wake up Christmas morning and find out that it snowed four inches overnight. <laughs> some people raise their hands. Other people groaned. That was loud. Oh, you know. Something, something we do love about up here. So when we lived in California, there's, there's no snow ever. I think in my entire life where we lived, it snowed three times. And it was like, oh, it snowed. It was gone by noon. It was one of those things. Living up here, I think it's snowed every Christmas since we've been up here, and we love it. We also love that it's gone in a couple days. You don't really have to deal with it, but, but it brings us joy. We got our first white Christmas up here. It was wonderful. All right, how about this one? You water your tree enough so it doesn't become dry and crispy and drop needles all over your floor every day. Does that bring you joy? Yeah, we see the, the OCD people now, right? Yep. All right, there's not, this one's not up there, but I feel like I can win the crowd with this one. Today you go home and the Seahawks beat the Niners. There's the, there, yeah, 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 right? Okay, boo. Anyways, <laughs> I think, I think what, what, what I'm trying to get us all to understand about joy is, and why I think this is a really important concept for us to understand is that our joy in life is largely connected to the circumstances in our lives. The joy in our life can be largely connected to the circumstances. When we go through things and things are going so well for us, it's easy to find joy. It's easy to look around and be like, this, makes, this brings joy to my life. This brings joy to everything in my heart. This makes my heart so full. But how about when the, the narrative shifts and things are not going so good anymore? Then, then it finds, it find, it's, we can find it a hard place to be joyful. We can find it hard to even find joy. Our, our joy, will, its ebb and flow will be based on the current circumstances we find ourselves in. And I think that a big part of the Christmas story that we should understand is that when Jesus came, it was for joy to the world for all circumstances. Not just the good times, not just the bad times, but something that, that wouldn't fluctuate with our, with our day-to-day lives. Something that could be something we grasp onto every single day, no matter our environment. Something that came that we could, we could fix our eyes steady on him through the good, through the bad, through the trials and of it all and know that we can have joy with him. But, but there's a couple words that, that I think we need to make sure we understand because uh, some, sometimes we, we would say, hey, I'm a happy person. So yes, I understand joy. But, but joy and happiness, I, I believe, are two very different things. Two very different things. Um, for example, let me ask you this question. I, I'll put my hand up for this because I said, how many of you consider yourself to be a happy person? I, I am a happy person. I, I, I love to smile, I love to laugh, I love to just be happy. As a matter of fact, people have called me Mr. Positivity in places where I go, because I, I, I look for a lot of the, the positive in things. I, I don't like to dwell on the sad things, and not saying that I don't get sad, I do. Um, if, if there's a, a circumstance that happens in life, a situation, a friendship that's hurting, there are things that make me sad, but in general, I'm a happy person. I, I, I love to smile and just, and just be positive about things. A lot of people will say yes, and you say, you know, are you a happy person? Most people would say yes. But what if the script were flipped, and I were to say, all right, are you a joyful person? Would you consider yourself a joyful person? That's a much different question than asking someone if they're happy, because joyfulness and happiness are two very different things. But we use those words interchangeably in our lives, but they're not the same. But I mean, we all know the Christmas song, right? Happiness to the world, the Lord has come, right? Not happiness to the world. There's a reason it's different. There's a reason we say joy to the world. It doesn't say happiness. Galatians lists the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What is not listed as a fruit of the Spirit? Happiness. It's not there. Because happiness, you can be happy and joyful at the same time, but one is deeper. One is richer and one means more. There's a reason joy is listed and happiness is not. 1 Peter 1.8, it says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, we see joy. It doesn't say you're filled with the the, the happiness of God and, and the happiness to the world. No, it's the joy of God, inexpressible joy. It's two words that we interchange, but they're not the same. They can seem similar, though. Uh, The the key point is that God promises joy, but he never promises us happiness. Um, There's something that people say. It's a very common phrase. People use this out there. They say, well, you can do what you want as long as you're happy. Do you realize what you just told somebody? There's a lot of things that could make you happy, but really, really mess with somebody else, or even make you happy that are not good for you. I mean, if you think about it, If you're thinking about, should I do this or not, and you know it's the wrong thing to do, but in the instant that you do it, it could bring you in an intense satisfaction and a brief moment of happiness that doesn't fill you with the joy that God is offering. There's a difference. Being happy is an emotion, just just like I think sadness is an emotion. Um, Jealousy or fear is an emotion. These these are things that come and go based on circumstance. They can be fleeting. Some of them can last longer based off of what happened to you, but, but they're things that come and things that go. You might be happy about something. There's lots of things that make me happy, but you're not going to be continually happy forever. Not just continually happy forever because it comes and it goes. But we can get happiness from a lot of things, even earthly things. For, for example, your favorite team wins. Makes you happy. It, it, it just does. Makes you happy. Um, you find out you're going to go to your, go get your favorite dinner at your favorite restaurant, right? It's happiness. I know that when, when Stephanie, if she's out of town, I ask my girls where they want to go for dinner. And some people love this place. Some people hate it. My kids love it. Cheesecake Factory. They love that place. And if, if Stephanie's out of town for whatever reason, the girls know we're having a daddy-daughter date night at Cheesecake Factory. It brings so much happiness, right? But again, if I were to tell them, no, we're not eating there today, that happiness is now gone. Not a lasting feeling, just a feeling that comes and goes. Something else that brings people happiness. The announcement that pumpkin spice has hit the coffee shops. Happiness to everyone, right? Yep, it's, it's there. And not just the coffee shops. You walk into any store and pumpkin has taken over every shelf. What else brings people happiness? Hallmark releases 15 new Christmas movies with Candace Cameron. She's there. Happiness on TV everywhere you look. Read the title of the movie. You know how it ends, but you're still happy watching it. Joy, on the other hand, This is deeper than happiness. This is an actual state of being. Joy is something that we're promised by God and something that we could strive towards. This is deeper. This is richer. This is more meaningful than just an emotion. This is an actual state of who you can be. We can have joy for so many reasons. And and I think in Christmas, we learn that we get to have joy ultimately because of why Jesus came. He came so that we could have eternal life the life that awaits us after death. The constant knowledge of our salvation and God's love will undoubtedly give us joy. Even if your present circumstance in life isn't something where you're saying, I should have joy right now, that's like the default we can go back to. Man, this may really stink, but look what we have coming. And that can bring such, such joy, even if you aren't presently happy. Scripture talks about this, the joy that's coming. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
we know that there's going to be joy. That, that, that's our end game. Our end game is being just engulfed in an incredible amount of joy and knowing that no matter what happens here on earth, that's what we get to go to. That means we can expectantly wait with joy. We can be joyful now because of what's coming later. It can be at the, the forefront of our minds. We can find it even in the midst of earthly suffering because we know earthly suffering is temporary. Temporary, Heavenly joy, eternity with the Father, that is permanent. Something that will never flee, never go, never fade. It will be there forever. Psalm 1611, the psalmist writes this, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Once again, even if you're not happy, what does God give you? Joy, something so much better. We do not have to smile all the time. And believe me, that's hard to say because I love to smile all the time. We don't have to smile all the time. We're not promised sunshine and rainbows every single day of your life. One of the biggest fallacies we could tell anyone is that once you, once you receive Christ, your problems are gone, everything's dealt with, and life is just uphill or downhill. It's, it's good every day. That's not always true. It's hard. We still go through the emotions of hard times, but we can have joy in those hard times because of who's in charge and where we're going. <clears throat> As John began his letter, he gave a different perspective on the birth of Jesus. So, so rather than, than telling us what happened with the shepherds like we read about in Luke, John comes in and he gives us this big picture explanation of what took place in Bethlehem, and he says it in a powerful way. What he wrote is a cause for joy no matter what we face. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 14, he says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. That's, that's, that's deep and that's huge because nothing we do really matters if Jesus didn't come and do what he did. And John states that so great right here. The word became flesh. And what John described is known as the, is known as the incarnation, coming from the Latin word carn, which means flesh. The incarnation was God putting on skin, becoming one of us, walking on the earth, living as one of us, dying a death he did not deserve. And in verse 14 says that the word became flesh. And if you look there, the word word is capitalized because that is the embodiment of the person of Jesus. The living word of God, his very words walking among us. And I, I know I've said it a lot already in just these couple minutes, but it's huge. This is pivotal for us. None of this matters if this did not happen. But he came. He's called the word because he embodied all of scripture in human flesh the way he lived here on earth. When he was born in the manger, God coming to live among us as one of us, he had skin, bone, flesh, and blood. Something I, I love to ask kids when I was a children's pastor. I said, do you guys realize if Jesus fell down, if he's outside playing with his, with his friends, fell down and scraped his knee, would he bleed? And it's amazing how many kids go, no, he's Jesus. They go, well, he probably could have said, Father, heal it, and it's fine, right? But he did. He did bleed. He did hurt. He felt emotions. He felt what we did because he was flesh. And then when some kids would, they'd even kind of push back and go, but he's God, how could he bleed? I would say, think of the cross. Think of what ultimately he came to do. He bled, he hurt, he cried, he lived as us. And as we look at this passage, this, this joy coming to the world, I think it gives us a number of reasons that joy doesn't have to change or shift with our situations. When we really unpack what joy means and unpack what, what it means that joy came to the world, that the word became flesh, 
we see that it can be a constant in our lives and a grounding, a grounding attitude and sense of being that we can have when we say, I'm going to live my life now with joy no matter what. In the face of the world, I will show joy. And one of the things is this. We can have that joy because God came to us. We can have that joy because God literally came to us. A, a common misconception we can have in our walk with God is that in order to get to God, we have to make sure that, that to be reunited, we must work super hard, be perfect, strive in every step to make things so right that he'll finally meet us where we are. But that's simply not true. I think one of the, the greatest joy robbers in our lives is thinking that you can never be good enough. We're, we're broken and flawed people who hurt others. We, we make mistakes. We live selfish lives. We mess up. We all mess up. And sometimes we start putting this boundary between us and God that doesn't need to be there saying, man, I, I need to do this on my own. I have to get good enough so he'll notice me. If God will never forgive me unless I do X, Y, and Z. And we start putting all these conditions on our salvation when they're simply not there in Scripture. What happens is if we are relying on our abilities to earn a connection with God, we will always be disappointed. If we're relying on our abilities to earn a connection with God, we will always be disappointed because it's not about what you're doing. It's not about those things. It's about God coming to you and meeting you where you are. And he did it. <laughs> he did it all through scripture. He did it in Christmas and he does it today. In, uh, in the discipleship journal, the author Paul Thigpen wrote about an encounter with his daughter and I'll read this to you. He says this, I remember coming home one afternoon to discover that the kitchen I had worked so hard to clean only a few hours before now was a terrible wreck. Mothers, you know nothing about this, right? My young daughter had obviously been busy cooking, and the ingredients were scattered along with dirty bowls and utensils across counters and floors. I was not happy with the situation. Then as I looked among the mess a little more closely, I spied a tiny note on the table. Clumsily written and smeared with chocolatey fingerprints, the message was short, I'm making something for you, Dad. And it was signed, Your Angel. In the midst of that disarrayed mess, and despite my irritation, joy suddenly sprang up in my heart, sweet and pure. My attention had been redirected from the problem to the little girl that I loved. As I encountered her in that brief note, I delighted in her. With her simple goodness and focus, I could take pleasure in seeing her hand at work in a situation that seemed otherwise disastrous. Anyone ever had something like this happen to them where, where you think, all right, what have the kids done or something? What has someone done? But then you see the heart behind what was going on. It, it shifts things, right? This, this, when I read this story, it reminded me of something that happened to us at home. We, we have a dinner table that was given to us, and, and we love our dinner table. And I ruined it one day. Um, I, you, know, to, you know how to get wax out of like uh, tablecloths and things, you use a, a rag and an iron and you can heat it up and get the wax absorbed into the rag. Well, I was doing that one day and I did it on our dinner table and just don't do it. I, I, there were iron marks and steam marks and I had clouded the table. I had messed it up bad. So what we ended up doing was, um, I'm not a handyman by any means. So I called my brother who is, and this was a number of years ago. He came over and he helped sand down the table and restain it. So now we had this, this table that looked really nice now, right? And I just kind of took pride and we had stained it. We'd put protectant coating on it. We're like, this table is now, now it, it was nice before, but now it looks really good. One day, one day, my lovely child, Avery, we're cleaning the table, wiping it off, and I see something carved into the table. She had taken her fork, and she carved a message into the freshly sanded and stained table, 
and it said, hi. That's it. That's it. Hi. I remember being so mad. Like, oh, my brother fixed this for me. Like, it wasn't even an idea. My brother did this for me. And, and it, was, it took a while for him to do it because he would come over after work and the table looked good. And now there was this high message there. I remember the next morning <laughs> coming down and looking at that. And I'm getting ready to give Avery a lesson learning moment, right? This is why we don't have nice things. But we look, we say, Avery, did you write that message in the table? Yes. So she's not a liar. All right. Why? She goes, because I just wanted to say hi to you, Dad. Hi. <laughs> Don't do it again, please. <laughs> but it was, but in, in that moment of talking to her and seeing her heart really was, in her little mind, I'm going to say hi to my daddy. That's what it was for her. It wasn't about destroying something. It wasn't about, this is going to make him mad. I shouldn't do it. There was none of that behind it. It was simply just her heart saying, I want to say hi to my dad. At least that's what she told me. But, but you know, it caused me to shift. It caused me to go from, from being angry from a circumstance to being like, you know what? This, is, this really is, if I look into it, then just look at, this is a joyful moment with me and my daughter. She said hi. I remember growing up, you know, I had siblings that would write things on the walls, and we, we the same thing, you know, my dad would get mad sometimes, and he was like, but dad, I was doing this for you. There's, there's times we have as parents to look past the, the material aspect of it and look down to like, why is this happening? If we look at the heart, we can find joy. We, we can look at something that looks like a messy disaster from our perspective. Something that we would say, this looks like a huge mess up. This looks like there's no way this should make sense. There's no way this should bring any form of positivity in my life. It can be hard to look for a reason for joy in your circumstance, but if you look closely, you can find the joy in those things. And in your life now, if you look closely, you might see God coming near to you, just like he did for these people in the Christmas story. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the heartache or the mistake that you're looking at, look and see God working something that only he can bring joy through because he's in the middle of it and he's coming. For that first Christmas night, he came to let us know he's making something of our lives, especially then when they felt lost, hopeless, oppressed, beaten down. That's when he came. Challenge for us is in those moments where we feel lost, oppressed, beaten down, ashamed, you, you can't find the goodness in it, look for it. Look and see, all right, God, what joy can I pull from this? Guarantee you, you'll find something there. God can work in all things. Joy is at the heart of Christmas because knowing that we could never make it to him, we could never make it to God, he then came to us instead. It's the only religion in the world where this happens. And no other religion did, did a God get off of his or her or their throne and come down to the people and give up their life for their people. That's only in Christianity, and it's the only one where you can say, this God, Jesus, walked the earth. That is a historical fact that even people that don't believe in God, they can't deny the fact that Jesus was a real person and was here. We take it a step further, and we say he wasn't just a person. That was God walking in the flesh among us. He's with his people. He loved us. He brought people to him. He let us know that it's not a works-based thing. It's, not a, it's definitely not deserved. It's based on love, it's based on grace, it's based on truth. It's given freely to us firsthand from God through his son. And that's why Paul says this, and he so emphatically says this in the book of Romans. In Romans 5.8 he says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
that phrase, while we were still sinners. Not when we got it right, Christ died for us. Not when Christ saw, or when God saw that we were finally doing things better, he sent his son to affirm. Or when, when we finally crossed all those T's and dotted all those I's and said, now I've achieved it, then God said, great, now you can be with me. No, while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, while we had blown things so many times, that's when God said, I'm coming. I'm coming to you in the midst of all this chaos. For, for Paul, there's, there's, this, there's not a naughty list and a good list that we have to work hard from to escape from or try to earn our way onto. The gift of God's grace is offered freely from the get-go for anyone who wants it without a price because, honestly, we could never afford that price. We could never pay that price. Only God himself could pay it, and that's why he sent Jesus while we were still sinners. This is why the characters in the Christmas story are so overjoyed from, from the shepherds in the field, they knew this was coming now. The angels had announced it. Joy is here. He's here. We don't deserve it. And finally, he's here. And what did they do to, to earn it? They were just watching the sheep. But God came for them. From, from the shepherds to, to Simon at the temple, the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah finally meant it has happened. God is here. He has come. This is joy. And I think the second reason joy can be a constant reality is for us in our lives is because how much God loves us and is committed to our transformation through his power. God loves us just the way that we are and too much to leave us that way. He loves you just the way you are and too much to leave you that way. Looking further in John, you can see that John tells his readers that it's through Jesus we see the glory and fullness of God. His arrival should fill you with joy because not only did God come to you, but because he came to you and he loves you. You can go to people's houses all the time and hang out with people that you don't love, right? It's true, we do it. You know, we, we can get invited over, we go somewhere. You don't love everyone you hang out with, but God came here because he loves you. He came to your house, to your life, to your heart because he loves you. And that's something that I think not everybody realizes. They ask yourself the question, do you realize you are loved by God? You're not just friends with God. You're more than an acquaintance. You're more than just a passerby or in his. I mean, when you look how big he is and how small we are, to know that you are loved by him is huge. John says that this love of God for us is like the, the love that a father has for his children. Jesus came like a father, full of grace and full of truth. I got to um, talk to one of my daughters yesterday, and we're just talking about it. We're just having a moment. You know, we're, we're baking cookies and having fun. And I just said, hey, Aurora, do you know how much I love you? She goes, yeah, yeah, I think I do. And I, I, and I, I said, you know, I said, no, Roar, do you realize how much I love you? And we, we stopped and just had a conversation about it. And I got to tell her, I was like, you realize that I know as a dad, I'm not going to approve of every decision you make in your life. And she was like, oh, right, I know. I won't approve of every decision you make. You'll mess up as a kid. And I said, and honestly, I'm going to mess up as a dad. There will be times when I mess up. I said, but I want you to know that no matter what you do in your life, no matter what it is, nothing will make me love you less. There may be moments where I don't like you, but I will always love you. I didn't say that. But there will be moments. I know she'll have moments. In, in a, in a parent-child relationship, they're all, they're all, they all have those moments. But nothing she ever does, I told her, will ever make me love you less. And then we get to turn that into our relationship with God and go, and can you believe, Aurora, that God loves you even more than I do? Even more than I do. 
you are loved by God. Same is true for all of us. When you look at the person who loves you the most in life, that's nothing compared to the love God has for you. That's why he came. Jesus came as a father full of grace, truth, and love. And the key to understanding this is the second reason for this abiding joy that we have. When Jesus came to us, he came full of grace. And the grace that John writes about is a Greek word, charis, which means favor, kindness, or a gift of blessing. It's like a wrapped gift shared from one person to another, that he gives it to us, this gift of grace from God. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it, but it's given to you freely, even if you don't recognize it. And this is something that I think when you understand God's grace, in turn, it fills you with joy. I don't think there's, any other, there's anything else that can come from it other than this big sense of joy because it's something you really don't deserve. None of us do, but it's free. And God loves you. He'll give you that gift right as you are right now. All the baggage that comes with, with your life, whatever it may be, God says, I'm going to give you this grace right now. But that doesn't mean that he loves you so much he's going to let you stay where you are right now. He says, I'm going to give this to you, and I love you. Now let's do something. Let's change. Let's, 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 let's ramp it up a bit. Let, let's make, let's, let this not just be a one-time thing. Let this be your life, and your life will change. He loves you so much that I know that when I do my devotions, when we do devotions, when we pray, when we come to God, you know what we're filling his life with? Joy. We're absolutely giving him joy. How joyful are we when we see our kids growing, when we see our kids learning? When, when If I see my kid do something wrong and I tell them, all right, this is now what we're gonna do. This is how we rectify it. And then I see that same situation come and they make the right decision. That's a proud, I'm a joyful dad. Like I did it. How much so do you think God does that with us? We've messed up, we've done things wrong. Then we learn from it and we grow in it. We go deeper with God. I can only imagine him looking down just being full of joy saying, that's my kid. They're getting it. They're doing it. There'll be hiccups, but man, when we change and we let God do the driving, we let God do that shaping and work, I know that that brings him joy too. He loves us so much. He doesn't want to see us stay where we are. He wants to see us thrive in what he's called us to do, to see that our lives are spreading hope and joy to others. Jesus also came full of truth. The word here is aletheia, which means divine reality revealed to a man or a straightforwardness. See, Jesus holds grace in one hand that allows us to be accepted into his family, and in the other hand, in a perfect balance, he holds truth and shows us the areas of our lives that need to be transformed, need to be changed, need to be reworked so that we can live the fullest life possible that he has planned for us. The book of 1 John expands on this. Uh, 1 John 4.9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The author insists that the reason Jesus came to us manifested in his love among us is because he desires for us to find incredible joy in him. In order for this to happen, though, it requires the gift of truth and grace. It's the most loving thing for us to do to another, the most loving... Excuse me. I do need that water. Sorry. Woo. I'm not getting choked up, I swear. Okay. It's the most, now I lost my spot. Truth in one hand, grace in the other. We'll go back to that, all right? When we have Jesus giving us both of those things and we're able to give those to others, we're able to spread that joy to other people, to show them that there's a father who has joy that only he can bring into their lives. And if you really want to see the evidence of God at work in your life, do, do an evaluation of your life. Look at yourself from the moment where you first, before you knew Jesus, when you accepted him, and where you are now. 
And I guarantee you, if you look at those three points in time, you can see who you were. Again, another kind of how you change and then where you're going. And you can see, you can be filled with joy that God has a work in you that is not done yet, that is going to keep on growing. He's going to keep on working. Give him more time and attention. And that would be a challenge there. If you're saying, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing the differences in these areas, I would say, well, then make a, make a challenge to yourself. Dive into his word a little bit more this next season. Pray a little bit more this next season. Tell God, all right, I'm going to focus on you a little bit more. I guarantee you he's not going to say, stay the same. He's going to say, let's work. Let's grow. Let's change. Let's move. Because he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. Let him fuel the next season of your life. Let his joy flood your heart. And I believe this about the joy that comes from God. This joy is a result of grace. And grace is a word that, that shows up in church a lot, but, but I believe that it's because it's like the way that we're which able to, to live with this joy. As, as a father, I feel like I can identify with these passages and how grace and truth lead to this joy. Now, have you ever seen grace play out in a real situation where someone got something they didn't deserve? Now, I, I was, when I was a youth pastor, I was directing the California youth camp, and two of my students got caught red-handed with a vape pen that they brought to camp. And when I say caught red-handed, I mean someone else caught them, there were threats involved, word came to me, I went, found it in the bag. I gave them a chance to fess up. I, I remember taking them into an office, and I was like, all right, guys, did either of you bring something to camp that you shouldn't have brought? And it was like, no, no, we didn't. But again, I already had it in my possession. I, they didn't know I had it, but I had it. I said, so nothing on this paper that you said I will not bring to camp that you signed off on? You didn't bring anything like this to camp? No, no, we didn't. If I were to go through your bag right now, would I find the thing, anything that I said do not bring to camp? No, no. And, and youth, just for example, if someone asks you that many times, they already know the answer. All right, just, just put that in your pocket and no. So I asked again, I said, I'm gonna ask you guys one more time. Is there anything you should not have that you brought to camp? And they were just straight faced, no. Then I pulled that out of my pocket. And the look on their faces, oh, you know, I was like, you guys want to tell me whose bag I found this in? Neither of ours, like, oh, guys, <laughs> guys. All that to say, I ended up having to call them. And in my mind, I had told some of the other camp leaders this. I said, all right, I'm going to go talk to these two guys. If they confess and you know, they, they're, they're forthright with it, yes, we brought that, no, we shouldn't have. There would have been some consequences, but I would not have had to do this. Because they lied and lied and lied, I had to send them home. And in a five-day camp, this was day two. Yeah, it's, it's hard, right? And, and for me, I got my call to be a pastor at camp. I believe so strongly in camp. I love camp. I, I feel like God does an amazing work in, in hearts that, that can be indescribable, and where else could that happen? Nowhere but camp. That's, I love camp. And so for me to send these two kids home broke my heart. I left the office knowing that I had to call their parents. I was in tears because I was like, I feel like I want them to stay, but there has to be this consequence because of what happened. But man, I was torn up about it. And one of these students I knew kind of had a, a troubled history as well. And I remember thinking, I'm going to send him home in his when his mom gets here, oh my gosh, there's going to be a scene in the parking lot because she's going to be mad that she had to come drive a couple hours to camp and there's no refund. <laughs> That's like 350 bucks gone. So I remember waiting with him. He was denying it the whole time. Eventually she showed up and it wasn't until she showed up that he had his head down. She walked up and I remember thinking, okay, please don't cause a scene. She grabbed her son 
wrapped him up, and she was in tears, and she just hugged him. And then he was in tears. And it was a very, very sweet moment that I got to witness in the parking lot before they did go home of just a mom telling her son, and I heard her say it, I still love you. I still love you. We'll be fine. As time went on, um, it was a few weeks later at youth group one night, he was like, yeah, I totally got busted for bringing that to camp. I shouldn't have brought it. I was like, now you admit it. It's like, man, you could have had a great week at camp if you would have just said it then. But, um, but the thing he got to tell me was he got to go home and have a good conversation with his mom and his dad. And yes, there were consequences, but they showed him an incredible amount of grace. And that was something that I'll, I'll never forget that moment in the parking lot. There was no berating. There was no beating. There was love and there was grace. There were still consequences, but the grace showed through more than anything. Our Heavenly Father, he sent Jesus to a manger in Bethlehem because he wanted to dwell among us and show us the most amazing grace, the most life-changing truth we could ever have, and he did it personally. We can experience this joy and be confident in knowing that God is with us. God will always be with you. He is for you. He loves you, and he produces his grace upon you, and that in turn will bring you an incredible amount of joy in your life. When the Holy Spirit works in us to produce spiritual joy, we, we can expect positive results. This, this is a natural byproduct of the Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit and his products are clearly seen in our reaction, the circumstances and the way that when life throws something at you, how do you respond? You can tell if God's really, really doing a work in your life and you're, you're being open to him working on how you react to when life hits you. And I, I like to call this the, the fruit of joy. There's a few examples of the results of the fruit of joy, I think, in a Christ follower's nature. And, and one of these is, first, we do have a happy face. Now, I know I said happiness and joy are different things, but, but I think if, if we're letting really Christ really work in our lives in the midst of trials and struggles, we'll be able to have that happy face. We'll be able to smile through things. And have you met, have you met a, a Christ follower or someone whose face seems to just glow when you talk to him? Someone who is just so in tune with the joy of God that it's contagious? I love talking to people like that. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. A joyful person is going to have that happy heart. They're going to be able to exude this, this joy. It just comes out of their very being. And they'll have a face that really, I do believe, expresses this attitude and behavior. A Christian filled with the joy of the Lord will very likely display and communicate joy outwardly in almost everything they do. And think of it this way. When someone has fallen in love, it is written all over their face, right? When, when, when a, a boy comes home saying, you know, they, they asked a girl out, or a girl says she fall, she's fallen in love with a, with a boy, when, when, or when romance starts, you can see it in people's faces. There's just a, a pep in their step, a way that they smile and communicate. You can tell it's there. When we love Christ, his beauty is reflected in us. And we, we have, the scripture calls this, a radiant appearance, we're able to show people, without even saying a word, there's something about them, and that is the joy and love of Christ living through us. Second Corinthians says it's being transformed in his likeness with an increasing glory. And second, I believe not just we'll have a happy face, but we'll have a joyful song. A, a joyful song, a thankful, joyful heart is often expressed in song. Psalm 149 says this, Sing to the Lord a new song, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy. Another example of Paul's encouragement to the early believers, he says, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with songs and psalms and spiritual songs. Make music in your hearts to the Lord. 
Give thanks to God in all things. And that's Ephesians 5. And James 5.13 probes, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Scripture is full of people. When, when they're filled with the joy of God, it comes out in song. I'm not saying walk down the street just singing. If you want to live a Hallmark movie, you can. See if people join in. Right? But I am saying that your life will be that of a joyful song. It will just exude from you naturally because that is what joy produces in your hearts. That is what Christ produces in your hearts. And third, we'll have a divine strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the happiness of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In all circumstances, when, when you're feeling down, you're feeling beat, remember what started on Christmas Day, that joy came to the world, and that can be your strength to get through it all. This was made clear to Nehemiah when there was this big misunderstanding and concerning uh, the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. It was the joy of the Lord that gave him the courage to go ahead with the plans. Today, I think we need to make sure we're, we're, fu- we're fine-tuning our ability to, to tune into the Holy Spirit. Let, his, let him dwell in your hearts. Let him live in, out, and through you, and let that joy pour out. The joy of the Holy Spirit can move us to do incredible things, moves us forward from here into eternity, and I believe spiritual joy results in divine strength. And the, the last thing I'll say as we get ready to close is this. Be aware of hindrances to joy in life. Be aware of things that can be joy robbers in life. Um, discouraged and joyless people, when, when if, if you fall into this, you can often lose an enthusiasm for this life God's given us. And, is, and an illustration of this in Psalm 137, the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. They were so discouraged, they didn't even have the hearts to sing. They sat and they wept. And when they were in their own land, they had been very industrious, but now under depression, they became totally inactive. Just kind of kind of just Done. All they could see was their present situation, and they had forgotten the times that God had delivered them. And what happens here is we see that discouragement and doubt hinder spiritual joy. They, they hit a point in their relationship with God where they were like, all right, we're in such a hard time, we're doubting things. And what happened is that became an ultimate joy robber. Discouragement and doubt can, can rob us of our joy. Luke 24, 17 talks about two disciples on their way out of Jerusalem. Jesus had been crucified, and they were so full with sadness that when Jesus was resurrected walking with them, they were so full of sadness, you know what, they couldn't even realize? That it was Jesus walking with them. They were so blinded and so focused on the horrible things going on, they didn't recognize the Son of God himself walking with them until after he had disappeared. Then they realized what had just happened. Sorrow and despair also fell over Mary Magdalene on the resurrection morning. She was crying because she thought Jesus' body was gone. She thought it had been stolen. In that moment, there was doubt, there was fear, there was sadness. Joy had left her. She was crying when Jesus approached and spoke to her. At first, she didn't even recognize him. She didn't even recognize him until he looked up and said, Mary, look at me. When she looked at him, what immediately came back? The joy. In our hardest times, guys, when we're going through something where we're like, I feel like my joy is being robbed right now. I feel like life is so hard, I can't find the joy. I would say, for these people, and this is the examples we have in scripture, their joy came back the minute they realized Jesus was right there with them. The minute they looked at him and realized who that was, joy came. The disciples that were leaving, they turned around and went back. Mary went to tell everyone what had happened. That joy can fill us if we just look at the face of Christ in our hard times. No matter what, know that he's there and he gives you joy in all circumstances. I'd like to invite the worship team up as we come to a close this morning. 
I'm going to challenge us all. Maintain this relationship with God where we say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose joy. That, that became kind of a, a funny phrase we would say at times when, when things were happening, when I was working at Creekside and maybe we were having a, a problem with a, something at church or maybe there was someone in church that we were working with on something and things were getting hard. We would go, I choose joy. I choose joy. And we, we kind of would laugh and we would say it, but at the same time, there's very real choice we have to make in our lives. Are we going to choose to look at the bad and choose to let the world overwhelm us? Or are we going to say, you know what? In this moment, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to look at what's going to happen eternally, and this is going to help get me there. I will choose joy in all circumstances, and I will be reminded of that with everything God does for me. Amen? Would you stand with me? Uh, Pastor Charles Spurgeon said it this way, There is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful, but this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This, this Christmas, that's going to be my prayer for all of us, that we come to the heart of Christmas, the heart where we say, joy is here. Joy is with us. God came and he brought joy to the world. We can have a deep abiding joy because of the sacrifice of God that when he sent his son Jesus, it's the power to change us and change the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. And I, I pray that in this, this Christmas season, this Advent season, God, you show us the meaning and the purpose and the power of joy. I pray that we, we look to the, the, the birth of Christ, not just what happened thousands of years ago, but what will happen when he comes again, God. We look to the arrival of Jesus with something full of joy, knowing that you love us. You're full of grace and truth, and you want us to be close to you. God, I pray that you light us up with those things. God, peace, hope, love, and joy, and let those fuel this entire season. We thank you, God. We love you, and everybody said... Amen.